Many years ago, I was invited to a church, and uh, halfway through the church service, something very unusual happened. Uh, after the communion, as soon as people received the communion, they would take the communion, and I saw them walking and walking and walking, but instead of going back to their seat, they walked straight out the door. And it wasn't just one person, but it was many people. And it was then when I realized that actually the main reason why these people had come to church that day was to receive the communion. The moment they received the communion, then for them, the whole purpose of coming together had ended. Now, I think that's a powerful example of the power of religion, uh, the power of a religious act, where somehow people just come to church or they come to a religious uh, institution. They believe that as long as I do something for that day, somehow that will confirm myself some sort of power, some sort of special relationship with God that I'm okay for another week. Now, today, we're going to be addressing the, power, the question of the power of religion, external religion. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Romans, and Romans is a very important book to understand logically within its flow. You can't really look at it in its part without looking at it in its totality. So, we learned in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, uh, up here on the slide, uh, the very, very important point that we are only saved because of the power of God through faith. Right? So, I'll read it for you. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And as we've seen, everything we've seen in the book of Romans since chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 is to prove to us that we need faith from first to last. Without this faith, if we were to move from this faith, we do not have the salvation and the righteousness that God wants to give us. So if you look at this table, okay, the next slide. Okay, so that was the first thing we learned. So salvation only comes by faith alone. And the question is why? Why is it by faith alone? And a few weeks we, we learned, uh, ago we learned that first of all, bad people will be judged. Okay, so all the bad people will be judged. And I'm sure we agree with it because they suppress the truth about God. They don't worship Him. They don't give thanks to God. And as a result, God gives them over to their sinful desires. Then the next study we learned that even good moral people will be judged. And we learned that last week because God judges based on truth. He doesn't just judge us based on truth. He judges those secret things of our hearts, things that we cannot see, things that other people cannot see and we think are hidden, but God sees in ourselves. And lastly, because God's judgment is righteous. He always gets things right. There is no court of appeal when it comes to God. When He judges, He gets it right all the time. So in this way, bad people will be judged, good moral people will be judged. And this week, oh, you can't see the red very well. We were asked the question, and I think Paul is asking the question, what about religious people? Does religion provide a shield from the judgment of God? And this is where we look to this week. The last refuge, the last hiding place from the wrath of God. So it begins in verse 17, where it says, Now you... If you call yourself a Jew, and if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know of His will 
and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced because you are a guide for the blind and a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law an embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Now, this is a very important point in the whole flow of the argument because now, for the very first time, we see that the person that Paul has in view is the Jew. Alright, so in the past, as we were reading through the book of Romans, we weren't really sure, you know, who is Paul talking to? Is he talking to the Christians? Was he talking to the Gentiles? Was he talking to the Jewish people? Now we see, in verse 17, that all along he had in his mind the Jewish person, the religious person. And for the religious person, for the Jewish person, if you were to go to him and ask him the question, or ask her the question, are you religious? They would say, yes, I'm a religious person. They would tick the box, I'm religious. But they wouldn't do it in a casual, laid-back way. They would do it as a mark of honor, as a badge worn with pride and respect. It would be like saying, I'm a president scholar, or I've gone to Harvard, or I'm something or other. Because for the Jew, being religious was something exceedingly important. And they were here given three reasons why they would feel so confident about being religious before God. In verse 18 and verse 17, it tells us, the first reason is, a religious, sorry, the religious person believes that they have a relationship privilege before God. They have a special relationship privilege before God. Because in verse 17 it says, if you rely on the law and boast in God. Uh, now, in the new NRV, it just says boast in God. But actually, in the older translation, it says you brag about your relationship with God. See, for the Jews, they felt that because they had the law, they had a special relationship with God. They had a relationship privilege. And the reason is because in all the whole world, God had chosen their forefather, Moses, to give the law, which was then passed on to themselves. And that, what it meant was that, therefore, for the Jew, they, they saw themselves as special. Right? I remember when I was very young, and I used to go to school often, my dad would drop by and pick me up from school sometimes, and he would sometimes say to me, Oh, you know, I'm only picking you up because you're my son. You know, I don't go and pick up any Tom, Dick, or Harry, right? And I think that was the view that the Jew would have. The law was not given to any Tom, Dick, and Harry. It was given only to us. And we, through the law, have a special relationship with God. So the first privilege they would have felt was that uh, they had a relationship privilege with God. The second thing is, they felt that they had a knowledge privilege. In verse 18 it says, You know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. Now, the law itself we often think of as just a set of rules and regulations. But I think that it's more than that, right? If you read very carefully, you see that because they have the law, they, are, they have knowledge of God's will. They know of what is superior. 
So we read Psalm chapter 17, right? And it compares the law of God as reviving the soul. Uh, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Right? The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The endurance and ordinances of the Lord are sure, altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than the honey, than honey from the comb. You see, the law was not just a set of rules and regulations. The law actually gave you the ability to know God, to know God's character, to discern His will. So they thought that they had special knowledge privilege before God. See, it's a bit like what we saw last week when we saw that the, the Gentiles only had the conscience to guide them. But the conscience is an altogether very difficult way of getting to know God that way. But the law actually revealed God as He really was. It's a bit like, imagine, seeing a person through this transparency of glass. You know, you, you look at glass and you see straight through and you can see what God is really like. Well, for other people, it's a bit like looking to God through frosted glass. Right? The glass is all opaque and you can't really see what God is like. And that's why if you turn with me to verse 20, it says something very startling about the law. It says, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Now, that means that the law itself allows us to have knowledge and truth about God and His character and what He wants us to do. So the Jews both had the privilege of relationship, the privilege of knowledge, and they also felt they had the privilege of ministry. Right? Because... Because they knew God, because they knew, had the knowledge of God, what did they do? It says there that they were a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children. Now, when we think of um, today as Christians, we evangelize people. We go out and we evangelize people. The Bible itself has the principle of where we, uh, they call it a centipedal uh, evangelism. That means we as Christians go out into the world to tell people the good news. But for the Jews, it wasn't so much a centipedal thing where they go out to tell people the good news. They didn't have you know, Jewish evangelists going around the world. But from a biblical point of view, God had told them to be like a centrifugal evangelism. So, you know, it's a bit like, you know, when you have a, you know, all of you have a shower, and then you have a little drain, right? And then the water sucks into the drain. It's like, it's like, that's the way that God had called them to evangelize, that people would come to them and see in them the embodiment of what it was like to be God's people. So in Isaiah chapter 42, it says this. Next slide. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, I will take hold of your hand and I'll keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from dungeon those 
who sit in darkness. See, that was the role of the Jewish person. They had a knowledge privilege, a relationship privilege, and they were meant to then use that as a ministry privilege. But the problem was that even though they had all these privileges, what happened? Well, unfortunately, even though they had all these privileges, in verse 21 to 23 to 24, they, instead of using these privileges to teach others, they themselves were breaking the law. You then, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, I want to make a very important point. Paul here is not saying that those privileges are not real. He's not criticizing those privileges as bad. The Jews really had special knowledge. The Jews really had a special relationship with God. The Jews really had a ministry in which they were supposed to show other people how they were to live. The problem was that they broke the law and as a result of breaking the law, they were themselves under judgment before God. And that's the whole point that God is trying to make here. And that's the point that we really need to, need to take to heart. See, you might have knowledge. You might have a relationship with God. You may have ministry. But if you break the law, that's what Paul is saying, you yourself are subject to the law even though you have all these privileges. Now, I think that's a very clear thing for us, isn't it? As we understand it. Because there is no distinction between Gentile and Jew. Just because the Jews had all these privileges, Paul is saying, does not mean that they can therefore feel that they can have some sort of protection from God's judgment. Because God's law is righteous and it's fair across everybody. And how does God show this to the Jew? Well, he says, look, you teach for other people all these things, but you yourself break the law. You steal, commit adultery, and you rob temples. That means you benefit from temples. Now, how did the Jew do this? Imagine you're a Jewish person, you're listening to Paul, you're thinking, well, I don't commit adultery. I don't steal. I don't make money from the temples, what, what's, what, what argument are you using here? What is the evidence to show that I have no special privilege? Well, I'm thinking that Paul here isn't just thinking about individual Jews who he's talking to, but he's talking about the Jews in history, their forefathers. So in Jeremiah chapter 9, it says this. All right, it says, Will you steal and murder Commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods that you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, We are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. So first up, he's trying to say, look, as a, as a nation, as God's people, the Jews have been guilty of doing this in the past. 
But these are like the most shocking and blatant examples that, 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 that Paul can bring out. But remember, even last week we already saw, and the week before, that even sins like gossiping, envy, lie and slander, lust and being greedy, uh, these things were breaking the law before God. So the whole point that Paul is trying to make here is that, look, you yourself teach all these things, but you do not keep the law. Now, eventually what happens is what is found in verse 24. That because of their bad behavior, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, this would have been very shocking for the Jew. Because for the Jew, when he read back in chapter 1, he'll be thinking, oh, you know, yes, all the Gentiles, they are the ones who suppress the knowledge of God. They are the ones who do all these really gross sexual sins and commit homosexual sins. But you notice how God and Paul here have turned the tables on the Jews and said, look, these very people who you despise, who you look down upon, who you sneer on, these people actually look at you and they see you and they blaspheme the name of God because of you. They, they, are, they are ashamed of God because of your own behavior. Now, how shocking would that be? Imagine if you look outside and you see someone you really despise, someone who is a murderer, someone who is a rapist, someone who is a pedophile. And God says, well, when they look at you, when they see you sin, they actually blaspheme God's name because of your own behavior. You'd, you'd be completely shocked, right? Because you'd be thinking, I'm such a holy, holy person. I go to church, I do all these things. But then the person that you despise actually looks at you and thinks, well, I don't really want to become a Christian because of the way you behave. Well, then that kind of makes you feel, maybe I'm not so holy after all. Now, I think as we look at here, at this passage, uh, the Jews definitely saw the law as having uh, one of the things which guarded them. Right? It was one of the things which they say, oh, we have the law, God will not judge us in this way. The other thing that the Jews really held on to, as we will see in the book of Romans, as we've seen already, is circumcision. Okay? Circumcision was again something else which they felt very confident about. But look at what it says in verse 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor a circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is the circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Now you notice here that he's saying that circumcision is just an outward reality. Okay, that's what it says there, isn't it? It says circumcision is something which is done outwardly. 
But what God looks for is what is inside. Now, I remember when I was very young, <clears throat> a friend of mine went to the University of Edinburgh and she bought me uh, a sweater which said the University of Edinburgh. Now, I've never been to Edinburgh in my life. I don't even know where it is. But I used to wear it because it was very comfortable. And I remember uh, someone actually mistook me and thought that I went to the University of Edinburgh and I said, no, I, I don't even know where it is, right? Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is what makes you a student at the University of Edinburgh? Is it because you wear the sweater which says it? Or is it because... You know, you have a student card and you actually go to the lectures and you graduate there. That's what makes you a student. Right? And that is what God is saying here. You see, because the Jews kept relying on outward markers of their relationship with God, the law and circumcision, these things were all outside of themselves. And actually, God is not interested in the outward markers. What He's interested in is in the heart. Take for instance the, the ring I'm wearing. Okay, so I wear a, a wedding band and I like to encourage all the husbands to wear it. Okay, to wear a wedding band. Does the fact that I wear a wedding band make me a married person? No, isn't it? The wedding band itself doesn't mean that I'm married. It's just an outward symbol that I've actually chosen to marry someone and pledge to be faithful to the person and to love them until I die. The outward sign cannot be the wedding and the marriage itself. And that was the mistake that the Jews had. See, they thought that all these outward signs, the law and the circumcision, protected them and gave them a special status before God. But Paul, one after another, the law, and then Trisachus said, no, these things do not affect your relationship with God because what counts before God is what is inside. And the problem was, he proved to them that all of them were sinful. Now, given that the outward sign doesn't protect you from judgment, then what really matters at the end? Well, it's a very, very difficult verse in verse 29, isn't it? A person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is not circumcision, uh, circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. See, what really counts in the end is circumcision of the heart by the spirit. Now, at this point, we're not sure what he's talking about because we have to look forward into the future. But if, we, if I give you some passages here, you'll see exactly what I mean. Uh, can you please flash it up? So remember, we said that the whole argument is flowing from chapter 1, verse 16 17, that you need faith and faith alone. You cannot save yourself by works. Right? So the bad person is still judged, the good person is still judged, and also now we see that the religious person is still judged. What we need is faith. Now where does this faith lead us to? How does faith actually help us to change our status before God? Okay, next slide. So, as you will go further on in Romans, in Romans chapter 7 it says, For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what bound us, 
we have been released from the law so that we will serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Romans chapter 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law, the Spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Philippians 3? Philippians 3, yep. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So if you see here, the whole argument goes back again to the idea of faith. When you have faith in God, what happens? God then gives you the Holy Spirit and you're changed from the inside out. See, what religion tries to do is change you from the outside in. I obey all these rules and regulations, but I constantly am unable to obey all these rules and regulations. What faith does is when I believe, God gives me the Holy Spirit and I'm transformed from the inside out. So that through God's Holy Spirit working in me, I am now able to then obey what God wants me to do. God had actually prophesied that there will be a time where He would give us this new spirit to give us the ability from the inside out to want to obey Him. In Ezekiel chapter 11 it says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Again in Ezekiel chapter 36, For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries, and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And this, I think, is the heart of today's passage. That there is no salvation found in religion. I think that it is very, very dangerous for us who come to church regularly, because instead of putting our faith in Jesus Christ, over time, even though with our mouths, we might keep saying, yes, by the grace of God we do this, by the grace of God we are saved. But yet, as C.S. Lewis says, in each and every one of us there's pride. There's a great temptation of pride. To be proud of how often I come to church, proud of how much knowledge I have before God, proud of the external marks of religion. Now, someone said before, that's not Christianity, that's churchianity. Not Christianity, but churchianity. You, you put your faith in the works of church rather than in Jesus Christ. 
it is a very dangerous thing because it comes on us very subtly. It comes on us when we are not really aware of it. But instead of putting our faith in Jesus, we start thinking just momentarily that we are actually pretty good people. But we must never forget that we are all fallen sinners. Even after we become Christians, after we are baptized, we come to church, we are still fallen sinners and we still need to look to the cross of Jesus Christ every day. I remember when I was in uh, a college in Australia, every room had a cross, a wooden cross on the wall and we were not allowed to take it down. But yeah, I remember talking to some of the, uh, it was a Catholic college and saying, you know, but it's just a piece of wood, the cross. So why do you have to keep it up there? And they said, well, you know, it's not really important, but it's, you know, we just thought it's important to be there. But the thing is, the moment you take it down, it becomes a very big deal. So it is actually a pretty important. So even you say it's not very important, it is pretty important to you. And I think that's the same thing that can happen to us. We say that it is only by faith. We say that it's only by the power of grace in Jesus Christ that saves us. But deep down inside, our pride wants to tell us what good people we are. See, religion always says to us that as long as we try harder, we do more, we do more moral things, more good things, somehow we can be right with God. We can make ourselves right with God. We are working from the outside in. But what the Bible tells us today is that working from the outside in doesn't work. It's working from the inside out. You still need God's Holy Spirit to be working in you. You still need faith from the beginning to the end. In conclusion, I remember one of the preachers at the Project Timothy uh, talk saying, uh, if you really want to make your pastor sad, one way of doing it is when he's lying on his deathbed. If you go to him and when he's dying, he said, you know, you ask your pastor, have I been good enough? Have I tried hard enough? Have I been religious enough? Well, that will make your pastor very sad because... It's not about us trying harder and harder to be good on our own, to accrue all the, the external religious things that we think can make us right with God. The way to be right with God is to have faith in Jesus and to have the Holy Spirit in us. And through the Holy Spirit working in us, we have that confidence that we will be right with, with God. See, I want you to look at that last sentence which everybody misses out you notice it says such a person's praise is not from other people but from God why does it end that way why does it say a person's praise is not from other people but from God because religion and external religious works is all about what other people see about me all the things I have on the outside but if you want praise from God then it's all about the inside. It's all about what God is doing in your heart through the Holy Spirit and not about impressing other people. So I hope that as we look at today's passage, we'll be able to see that the audience that Paul is talking to is not just the Jews, it's talking to us. And especially for those of us who've been in church for a long time. Because if you've been in church for a long time, slowly, I know it myself, I can feel it myself, there is that great temptation 
that you think you are actually quite a pretty good person. And you think that because you've done all these religious things, you have the knowledge, you have the ministry, you have the relationship with God, these things are the things in which you put your, your trust and faith in. But that's very wrong. You need Jesus as much if you've been in church 20 years as you did the first day you believed in Him. Because only faith in Jesus can we be saved and can we have that Holy Spirit. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, uh, we pray that we will be convicted by your powerful words today. Indeed, many of us, we have knowledge, the privilege of ministry, the privilege of having a relationship with you as we read your word and know more and more about you. We pray that we will not let Satan deceive us into trusting in these things, trusting in the external religious good works, but rather we will trust and have faith in Jesus Christ alone. As you said in the very beginning in chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, salvation is by faith from first to last, from the beginning to the end. Help us to see that the external religious practices have no value because we are all still sinners before you. We are awful, terrible and pathetic sinners. And we must come to the cross day by day, confess our sins before your son Jesus to, to have us being washed by your blood, his blood once again. Dear Father, help us to have the Holy Spirit in us so that we will have hearts of of flesh and not stone, where our obedience, where our love for you will be genuine from the inside out rather than trying to oppose it from the outside in. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.